welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor in London and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today we're joined by Professor Ben Jones to discuss his recently published paper on the risk of COVID-19 transmission in sport. Ben is a professor at the Carnegie School of Sport at Leeds Beckett University with a background in sport and exercise physiology. He is also Head of Performance for England Rugby League and the Pathway Performance Director for Leeds Rhinos. So welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks, Stefan. And you recently published a paper on the risk of players contracting COVID if they've been involved in the game where someone has then subsequently tested positive. So first of all, what, what sports is this relevant to? And then if you could tell us how you went about doing this. So the findings of this study are relevant to all outdoor team sports. Um, Every team sport will have their own transmission risk um, in terms of infection between players. What was unique to this study, um, specifically to rugby league, is um, when we returned during the COVID pandemic, um, the scrum was temporarily removed. Therefore, the the high risk um, or the increased risk action during the match was actually the tackle. So it was so we could we could. start to track actually um uh try and unpick uh the infection spread between players um other sports can use this as a reference point in terms of um how risky the tackle is or if they don't have a tackle they can um they can obviously infer that their sport has a lower transmission risk um than what what we saw in our study so in terms of how our study um was undertaken um the study was based on uh four matches and in those four matches um following the match there were eight players that subsequently tested positive um for the SARS-CoV-2 virus within 48 hours of the match therefore they were deemed to be uh, shedding infectious virus during that match now all players um as in the super leagues which was a rugby league competition were part of a seven-day PCR screening cycle so those players that did test uh, positive after the match, they would have returned um, a negative test in the days before. Um, specifically, the of the, the eight players that tested positive, um, they all had low CT values and uh, all their, their, um, their CT values and, and clinical symptoms, they were reviewed by an independent virologist to ensure that they weren't false positives. So... Um, the, the data is based on uh, what we deem were infectious players during the match. Now, what we then then subsequently did was um, for those eight players who were um, shedding infectious virus during those four matches, um, we went back through those matches uh, using video footage to identify um, who we deem were increased risk contacts. And an increased risk contact um, was any player that had a direct um, face-to-face interaction with a player for three seconds or more within a metre. Um, and, and that definition was, was agreed on based on it accounted for um, the fleeting nature of sport and it, and it allowed us to evaluate actually um, who were those increased risk contacts um, more robustly. From the, the four matches, um, we identified 28 uh, increased risk contacts. So that's 28 players who had a three-second or more directly face-to-face interaction with, uh, with one of the eight infectious players. 
Um, we also then be, uh, evaluated based on uh, GPS data and, and video data, um, the interaction between the infectious players, um, the players that are identified as increased risk, close contacts, and, and also the other players as well. So obviously, in addition to the 28 players who were identified as the increased risk contacts, there are also 100 other players who were participating in the match, and plus the match officials as well. Now, um, our main outcomes of the study um, was to track the increased risk contacts, so the 28 increased risk contacts, um, for the 14-day isolation period. So those players were required to isolate. Um, and those players were tested um, systematically during that 14-day isolation period to determine whether they uh, did indeed uh, contract the virus. Um, in addition, the other 100 players that were obviously involved in the matches, um, they fell back into their, their normal seven-day um, screening cycle. So we could also determine whether indeed they tested positive in the, in the 14 days after. Now, the main findings of the study were um, that from the 28 players that were identified as increased risk contacts, um, one of those players tested positive um, for the virus um, uh, following the match. Now, um, and, and also there were five other players um, that were involved in those matches that um, tested positive for the virus within 14 days of the match, but weren't, uh, but weren't identified as increased risk contacts. Now, um, of those six collective players, so one as our increased risk contact um, and the five others, they were all deemed to be linked to internal club outbreaks. So during this time, there were a number of clubs that had um, that had COVID outbreaks and, and they were deemed to be linked to that um, or community transmission. The rationale for their link to the, um, to the internal club outbreak was within that internal club outbreak, there were other players and other members of staff um, within that club that also tested positive that weren't involved in the match. Therefore, um, that seems the more probable explanation. Um, we didn't do any genomic sequencing, therefore, it's that, therefore, um, these are based on uh, the, the most likely explanation for the, the infection. Now, what was a, um, a key finding from the study is the increased risk contact that tested positive after the match. Um, he was actually involved in a high number of tackles with infectious players. So he was actually involved in up to, he was involved in 30 tackles with infectious players during that match. The reason it was so high is he participated in a match where there were actually five infectious players in that match. Um, now, so, so we, we did, um, so you could speculate, say actually that was the, the mechanism of, of virus transmission, those 30 tackles. Um, but on balance, another player within the same match was actually involved in 32 tackles with infectious players, and he didn't develop the virus. Um, so when we balance out the, the high number of tackle exposures, um, it seems the most probable cause of transmission um, was the internal club outbreak. But as, as I said, um, because we didn't do genomic sequencing, it, it's, it's hard to, to fully delineate, delineate the actual transmission. Our contact tracing within the study um, and our observations 
were focused on um, kickoff to full time. So we did a really robust way of obviously reviewing all the all the video footage um, and also the GPS to look at the player proximity and the duration of time players were within that proximity of each other. So there is also um, there is also a chance that interactions occurred outside of the match. You know, albeit changing rooms um, in the tunnels, coming out, going back in, etc. Now. What this actually means for um, for our understanding of, of the virus transmission is it is the outdoor um, the outdoor transmission risk even during tackles um, is probably lower than we first thought. So it's it's it, we, we wouldn't be confident saying there's no risk of uh, transmission during the tackle because, as we said, of um, of those players, a number of those did test positive afterwards. Although we we, we did link that to either an internal outbreaks or community transmission. Um, but it does, the tackle does definitely seem seem lower. So in terms of um, how medical staff and, and other stakeholders can can support um, support players and, and the sport during during the pandemic, is I, I think we need to we need to continue to to focus on understanding the activities that players are involved in during during matches and during training. But also then um, spend as much time focusing on those those activities and those interactions outside of the specific sport, um, albeit whether those are changing behaviours, team meetings, even the the player to player conversation um, that happens before or after um, a specific training drill or, or match happens. Um, so that that would be they would be the key um the key priority areas to focus on now in terms of more understanding the 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 end-to-end uh risk of of transmission now when we apply that to the player i think the findings of this study um are really important to almost indicate that um the sporting activity um even when players are involved in a high number of tackles so i said before up to 32 tackles with infectious players um, it seems that that specific tackle, those specific tackle events are lower risk than we first thought. But um, there's been observations in, in numerous sports of uh, spread within clubs and, and outbreaks within clubs. Therefore, for the players, the players need to be really aware that um, the virus is highly transmissible um, and that actually they need to be responsible for their associated behaviours and, um, and actions outside of the training drill and outside of the match. Um, so that allows, uh, it allows people to put into balance what are the risks in terms of the elite athlete that are in these sporting environments, as well as the fact that they then participate in training drills um, with, and matches, which do involve these close contact and, and, um, and fleeting interactions. Sure. And so I guess it's a really important piece of research and one that spans both sports science, but also public health and almost human behaviour. And, and you've mentioned some of the takeaway take points and some of the key implications for the likes of players a, a, and staff. But how is this communicated to the likes of policymakers? So at government level, um, especially from a public health point of view, where at the moment, as we record in kind of going towards the end of January in the UK, where community sport is being put on hold and um, this study I imagine has implications for for grassroots sport as well yes um yeah the findings can be um applied to other sports and especially community sport and, and grassroots sports I think the cautious 
the cautiousness of applying um, the data to those sports is that obviously we've evaluated one specific sport with one specific um, movement patterns and player interactions. The assumption then if you apply these data to community and grassroots sports is that they do do the same. So take rugby league, for example. Um, it, it, it would be logical to think that a face-to-face prolonged interaction um, so if we think about a tackle um, whereby the players are directly facing each other, um, they would be the highest risk of transmission as opposed to another player tackling another player by their legs. So we first got to make sure that actually um, when we're applying these findings to community sport, that they do have the same characteristics, um, albeit, yes, they play the same rules, but actually um, in other in other sports, we've... we've um, it's been shown that the the tackle technique differs between elite to um, you know junior junior recreation recreational level. Now, you'd speculate and 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 say that actually, um, it could be lower risk because the number of tackles would be less, um, and there's more likely to be um, like less dominant control tackles, um, in the lower levels as the, as they are in the senior. So it is, so it, the, the findings are reassuring for community sport. I think that where the cautiousness, um, needs to be taken in terms of applying these data to community sport is that, um, we can't look at these data and say that the risk of transmission within sport is low because we've seen, uh, we've seen, high number of um of cases spread within sports sports clubs uh, and, and a number of sports i think what we can say with applying these data is the transmission transmission risk during outdoor matches is low so i think that where these can be directly applied is is when um is when policymakers government sports etc are phasing their return to to activity it allows them to understand that actually um, the on-field sporting activity is is lower risk um, than maybe first thought, but equally um, we can't go back to where it was before in terms of the the transmission risk indoor is higher. Therefore, we open the clubhouses, we open the changing rooms, we think about travel, and the associated um, the associated factors with sport still do pose a risk of, of transmission. I think this study just um, is, is a small step to understanding that specific transmission risk outdoor. Brilliant. I think that's a really nice kind of practical point to, to, tie, to tie things up. Um, ben, in terms of the, the paper itself, so obviously the, this podcast will be going out when the paper is live and we'll, we'll put out a link to the paper in the, the podcast notes on SoundCloud. But if people, and obviously people can find it on the BJSM website as well. But if people want to, want to interact with you, then you, you're on social media as well. Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter, so at 23BenJones, uh, and I'm happy to, to discuss any of the findings or how those findings can be applied to other sports. And I think one of the, the key things to acknowledge at, at this point is that um, how collaborative and, and collegiate all sports have been in working together. So you'll see from the co-authors uh, on, this, on this study that they're from across sports, so rugby league and rugby union, especially, as well as um, other experts in the, in the area. So um, if there's any, if there's going to be any, any lessons learned from the COVID pandemic from sport, it's, it's how well sports do work together um, both within and between disciplines to actually um, have a big impact.
I think that's a lovely, lovely note to end on. So thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you for listening to this BGSM podcast. If you've got any suggestions for future topics or guests, then please just reach out to us on our social media channels. But in the meantime, take care and hope you're able to join us again soon. Bye.